Uh, yes, uh, we are, we have some car trouble and uh, we broke down on uh, 94 West right across from uh, Six Flags and we State Highway Patrol stopped by, we're from uh, out of state and uh, they gave us your, your card, said you were the closest towing place. Uh, okay, thank you. Uh, with the car? No, I don't, I don't really know. Um, it started... We're, I was going along, I was accelerating, and then uh, it started lurching and hesitating a little bit, and then just rapidly dropping speed. Um, then I pulled over, stopped the car. Uh, when I tried to restart the engine, um, it's just been, it's been trying to turn over, but nothing's been happening. Um, sounds like it starts to fire, and then it just dies. It's a 92 Honda Accord. Uh, like a charcoal. Hello and welcome to The Wasted Years, the podcast where touring musicians tell stories about life on the road. This is your host, Aaron Seamer. I've been a musician for over 20 years, and I've slept in strangers' hotel rooms, disgusting couches, the front seats of vans, and roadside ditches. I've been robbed, cheated, stiffed, and flashed, and usually for very little money. And if you're a touring musician, I bet you know what I'm talking about. This is The Wasted Years. Maybe a slightly different vibe because it'll be less like crazy. I mean, some story, a lot of stories from the road, but also actually talking about songs a little bit, I guess. Yeah, because mm-hmm. the stories of the road actually inspired all the songs. Right. So yeah, we weren't on a tour. These <laughs> 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 are tour stories. We don't even know what that's like. True. These are stories it's, of inspiration. It's not that different. <laughs> <laughs> This is your host, Aaron. You're listening to the Wasted Years Podcast. I'm here with Dominic Alisio and Dan Lurie of the band Solioni. Um, full disclosure, I was a member of this band. And uh, w- what we're talking about today is the Solioni album Prairie Monsters, which was based on and inspired by a road trip that Dan and Dom made in what year was that? 2002. <laughs> in 2002. Ten years ago, wow, holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the road trip was ten years ago. Uh, they wrote all of these songs, or at least started writing these songs on the road trip, and then recorded them in various locations. Um, one of one of the locations was the house that I was living in at the time, and so I was involved in um, a lot of the recording and performing 
these songs on the album as well and i guess mixing and mastering and all of that <laughs> in, yeah in some way but um dan and dom are the songwriters and uh they have a tale an epic tale of a failed road trip to <laughs> well failed in some ways and successful in others to relay um and the music you'll be hearing throughout the course of this is the album prairie monsters that was written on this road trip and recorded shortly thereafter epic and document but then uh in terms of its uh the the practicality or the the actual intent of the mission that kind of that kind of was the failed part of it i suppose the car completely yes disintegrating so let's start with that how what was the point of the road trip initially yeah the original point was uh my girlfriend at the time beth had just moved out to seattle and uh we had to well i had to deliver her car from ohio to to seattle and I should mention we all went to college together at Ohio University. Yeah. And eventually found our way to Seattle. So, yeah, I was living in Seattle. Dom was still living in Ohio. And I just called him up one day and was like, I got to transport this car. Why don't we ride an album on the road, try to record it when we get to Seattle? We had this idea that we'd record the entire album in like two days. <laughs> right. <laughs> after, right. After writing all the songs in a week on the road. So that was kind of the plan. And, uh, you know. We were confident we were going to experience enough things on the road to inspire a full album. We had no idea what that would be, and uh, it went a lot less smoothly than we planned, but uh, <laughs> I think that resulted in, in better storylines for the songs. Uh, so it was a frustrating trip on the road, but uh, I think we got out of it what we what we needed for the album. So Yeah. Art born of frustration. Exactly. And, and, and true experience. And true experience. <laughs> true experience turned into very ridiculous storytelling. But the goal times, was to but... bring to bring a car from yeah. Akron, Ohio, where Beth was from, to Seattle, Washington. Yeah, so we didn't accomplish that goal. But we got our we got our album out <laughs> yeah. of it. Yeah. We yeah. got our album out of it, but we we never got her. her we may car. have just ruined the story because now everybody <laughs> knows that the car did not make it. Right, yeah, right. <laughs> but the, the overarching goal of <laughs> life experience found and reflected upon was <laughs> achieved and documented so that was a that was a good thing yeah and i think the way that we write songs we like to kind of force ourselves into these positions where i don't know we have a concept or we've got like the clock ticking and we're like all right we gotta write yeah this trip was kind of like we're gonna be on the road and these songs just have to happen and we know they're gonna happen we just don't know how they're gonna happen right yeah so that was what was exciting about it? We had started a band at OU that was kind of a goofy acoustic pop thing um, and had started it before either of us even knew how to play an instrument. Um, right. <laughs> and just kind of kind of learned on the run and wrote songs on the, like, songs would just kind of happen without a ton of uh, development behind or past the, the concept or just like the first you know, coming out of like a random fragment in a notebook or yeah. just, just an idea we had been bantering around. But after after graduating, we'd be kind of looking for, I was still living in Ohio and Dan had moved back to Seattle and we, we were kind of looking for a project to bring us back together and kind of keep yeah. keep that going a little bit. So, And then I, so I had already 
Dan and I had started doing some music in Seattle together under the name The Brotherhood of the mm. Yakuza. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Um, which those songs eventually folded into Solioni, but we it, we, it was going to be something separate. And then, then I got involved with Solioni after your road trip when we started working on this Perry Monsters album. Right. Yeah. That's that's when we knew we were we were in deep and we had to finish this project. But yeah, I mean, part of the reason of even keeping Solioni going after college was to, you know, give me and Dom a reason to get together every now and then and, and work on something creatively. So uh, that's kind of why we were excited about the road trip. We are like, this is a pretty awesome opportunity to like yeah. make a sprawling album. Be- yeah, before we had no notion that Dom would move to Seattle eventually at that point. Yeah, right. right there. The, um, the call of the West had definitely been... Uh, <laughs> in in my brain a few times after uh after undergrad but yeah it was never never a definite thing at that point so this was just a a good chance for us to just get together and work on something and prayer monsters is the result but so all of us have recently before the recording of this podcast gone back and listened to prairie monsters which i think i mean in all of our cases i think it's been years since we've actually even listened to this album that we once put <laughs> so much time and work into but it was a pretty hilarious listen and trip down memory lane and some of it i still love some of it i just think is hilarious there's nothing that i really that i don't like on it but <laughs> but it was right it's just really yeah i it's think a, a lot fun way to relive all of this yeah a lot of people in our friend group really closely connect with the album too because we have so many people who moved from ohio to seattle and we're we were traveling on that same road that everybody took and just yeah. writing about our experience of course everyone else made it through cleanly and cars that seemed in much worse shape than the one we started in so <laughs> i mean i know people have made that trip like eight times i've with, done it like yeah. at least four they, like in one or two days and yeah we didn't even come close to having like a yeah clean trip without it is true i guess trouble. anybody who is from the upper midwest even uh northeast um region of the country who has driven to seattle has probably taken this same route some form of sticking to route 90 or going off of route 90 at different points but right i think a lot of people probably relate to this uh journey and dan and i i mean well maybe i shouldn't speak for you but at that point i definitely didn't consider myself of like a veteran of the highway or anything like that like i mean part of it was the adventure but part of like i guess the hilariousness of it is that we kind of had this kind of character a little bit of being like out of our element to some extent or like the fact that we had a car that was breaking down as two guys who are not renowned yeah. for their adventure au- auto savvy <laughs> or, or you know yeah. like i don't really know how to check the oil in a car so <laughs> you know we weren't made to do this kind of trip but well yeah i mean let's say we were all college nerds basically right <laughs> I think we could be classified as such. I mean, we are all into music and playing music, but we are all like, yeah. you know, young, yeah. naive, coming straight out of college, I, wanting uh, to get in adventures, but not really knowing. In in high school, once I'd even like gotten lost trying to pick up a coconut cream pie for my dad's birthday, ten miles from my own home. So <laughs> the the potential for you know some <laughs> random off road, you know, weird well, experience was was high. I'd say. You and I, Dominic, too, also at least come from small towns and then went to college in a small town. Um, Dan had a little bit more city experience than we had, I guess, but it was like a... I don't know if that's relevant, actually, to (laughs) a road trip, but I didn't know what the hell... I didn't know shit about the world. Yeah. Well, that was... (laughs) I know that. (laughs) One of the funniest things that kind of struck me when I was listening to the album again yesterday was this overall sense of 
foreboding and like danger looming at every turn. It is true. And, uh, there is like a like <laughs> there is a very foreboding like tale of heartbreak or weird post-apocalyptic <laughs> destruction or just some some sort of like sadness and hopefulness like joy at the same time yeah um i think like amusement park untitled for example <laughs> is a really foreboding like kind of tragic song right right in in that way where it's like we were singing about an amusement park but it's like really creepy yeah yeah <laughs> and that was kind of a, there's no that was kind of like perfect way for the trip to start was that was like day one or two when the car you know, broke down for the first time and like literally right next to this amazing amusement park that's, you know, closed for the season. Wally World style. Yeah. Right. And right. so we kinda right. walk walk down there, look over the fence and just see these all these roller coasters and like nobody around and it was just kind of this sad scene. I guess it is kinda sad, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean that was the first just major problem in the trip and as well as moments where we're on the side of the road we're like, this is really bad news. But every time we got in one of those situations, we were like, it's going to be worth it for the song. But we're going <laughs> right. to pay hundreds of dollars to, to fix this car. <laughs> right. This is going to suck. Right. <laughs> so there goes the budget for the album, but we're going to get this really good song out of it, hopefully. That's yeah. actually a kind of a cool mindset to be in then, because you can always be like, yeah, this is going to suck, but this cool art is going to come out of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, we knew, you know, sitting here 10 years down the line, we're like, I'm glad that happened. And we knew that. When we were on the road too, mm-hmm. we were like every crazy situation we get in here, it's going to be worth it for the for the finished product. Um, I think that's yeah. true about yeah. about life in general. Yep, the flow of the album has a lot of indication of that too. Where like we were, there was definitely the the tension throughout the trip of having all of these expensive experiences that unforeseen expenses uh, that neither of us were really in a position financially to like handle or deal with. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, yeah, but all then, of us were poor as hell. Oh, wait, right. And like, you know, I just like got my first credit card at that point. Right. <laughs> um, for every amusement park untitled, there's also like a trucker shoe polish shoe shine machine, which is just the, like we'd have these moments of like tension and despair almost. And then they'd be, we'd get back with the focus of like, all right, we're back. The mission is to like write these songs <laughs> yeah. and then the joy just comes back. Yeah. And just like the the goofiness of us apparently being highly amused by a shoe polish machine in a truck stop. <laughs> yeah. That kind of. Yeah. It's a good couple songs to, to pit against each other because Amusement Park is about this big experience at the start of the trip. Truck shoe polish shoe shine machine is just an observation of a thing we saw like outside the bathroom at a truck stop. Yeah. Which was an actual machine that's supposed to, you put a quarter in or something yeah, and stick oh, yeah. your foot in and yeah. it shines your shoe. Mm-hmm. And then we turn that into like gospel. Yeah. I don't know. It's a joyous gospel romp. <laughs> romp, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's, yeah, I know like that's the kind of, I could see like, I've seen like a thousand shoeshine machines in my life, but I may have never seen one at that point. And like finding one at a truck stop on a road trip would have just been like the yeah the right. notion that truckers are shining their shoes and on that's the side a- of the road is pretty amazing. Yeah, <laughs> it's worth. It. I mean, that's what we were doing. <laughs> what what is the instance of going into that <laughs> flying J? We're just like. I'm on the road. You're only stopping there if you're on this like re- crazy road trip going anywhere, right? Like, there's so, nothing around it, right? So, so when, what do you, when you get in there, <laughs> like what what has happened or what what is the what is going to happen? Where you're like, I need to have my best shoe shined alligator boots like ready to walk out of here like, yeah. as soon as I leave this truck. The stop. only 
possible thing I can imagine is truck truck stop prostitutes. Yeah. <laughs> or you, just, you wanted your shoes to look good for the truck stop prostitute. <laughs> I don't I don't know any other scenario. You just want to look good getting your ham and eggs like three <laughs> feet from the shoe shine machine. But yeah, seeing the shoe shine machine is kind of a perfect example of what you know, going into the road trip and not knowing where the songs are gonna come from. <laughs> yeah. And then you see the machine, you've got <laughs> Your moleskin journal. Yeah. And you just write down Trucker Sheep Paul Shoe Shine Machine. Yeah. And then you know that's eventually going to turn into a song. And, and reflecting like. And then somehow you decide that it's going to be gospel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and reflecting like where we were at the time. We were just like, man, that is amazing. That, <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. going to be the hit song on the Right. Album. Right. <laughs> that needs to be there. Since it was mentioned, I did, I did want to note in listening to it yesterday that it probably. The only other recording in existence that has an outro that is as long as Trucker Shoe Power Shoe Shine Machine is maybe like Hey Jude. Oh yeah. I mean it is it is absurdly long. Like, <laughs> yeah. That that outro is ridiculous, and then it kept getting bigger and bigger and l- longer and longer. I remember, and then then I had the notion of taking that Bunk Johnson. If yeah, it was Bunk Johnson, like this old New Orleans jazz song, and smacking that on there, which makes it even longer. Yeah. <laughs> and it somehow fit perfectly. <laughs> For no re- yeah, I don't it know. It was like the exact same, <laughs> you know, when the Saints come marching in or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had just I had just started getting into like old New Orleans jazz at that point, and I was like, this sounds like it just sounds right to like slap on yeah. here. But then it just made it even longer. I do think the reason that song is so long is it was one of those things where you record recording the guitar part first and we hadn't established exactly how the song was going to end so this guitar chord just gets keeps getting strummed for like minutes on end yeah to close out the song and then we're like oh well now we have to sing over that for like three minutes right at the end of the song and then the music <laughs> well and then the music drops out and then it's just and, we keep clap, and then that keep that goes on yeah and then i think there's even a part that like fades out as the the bunk johnson piece comes that's kind of what happened yeah because yeah. yeah there's like the music stops, but you guys were like having such a good time that you started clapping and stomping and yeah. just kept on going. And that whole gospel outro was definitely like a first take thing where you're kind of like, you know, everyone starts laughing and they were like, well, we're not going to get it any right. better than that or, or record this again. We've yeah. We're recording on four tracks, so <laughs> like if yeah. to, to re-record, you'd, you'd want to do the whole thing from the top, like over what you've just done. So Yeah. Yeah. And we weren't going to get through that, that part with the straight face anyway, so... Yeah, we had to take take what we could get, and I think uh, I've heard from other people who have made the road trip, who listened to the album during the road trip, um, who said like that song brings like a giant smile to their face every time they hear it. Yeah, so uh, it's pretty fucking hilarious. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a warm memory for me for sure. <laughs>
Well, um, so do you want to like start from the out the outset and then kind of walk through this? Yeah. I guess we've already covered trucker shoe polish shoe shine machine pretty right. well at this point, but we can uh, go through the rest of the journey. I'm pretty sure I wrote this the day we left. So you've got is this the journal from the road trip? Yeah. That you have so in front of you here, I had this. Uh-huh. Um, and if I recall, sure. I did I did most of the driving. So you had time to sit there and do a lot of journaling, scribbling, like as I was driving a lot of times, like in silence or having strange conversations yeah. about what we were seeing. But you had a lot of time to scribble down your thoughts, punch myself in the forehead, yeah, and hope that something would happen. <laughs> I think I think the only one of the only stretches where I actually was behind the wheel uh, was right before that breakdown at Six Flags. Yeah, coming out of uh, or like heading into Waukegan. I think you were also driving at night when we went through Chicago, and it's like such a big city. We had no idea where to like turn off. Oh yeah, so we just drove through it all together. Yeah, we saw just like never even stopped. You didn't even go to Chicago. We just drove through. We stopped. We had no we idea drove, where to turn off. We drove through <laughs> to Waukegan, and I think the first inclination we had to stop was we were driving. We drove past. I don't know if it was called cellular field at that point, but uh, it might have been still been convincing. Is this like the first day? I just, you you I probably so. made it to Chicago. Uh, I mean, yeah. Chicago's like, what, six hours from Akron? Yeah, so. and we left, yeah. we got like a late start. We left like mid-afternoon. It was, it was probably like five o'clock or something like that. Yeah, we're not, we're just not the kind of people who get up at 6 a.m. and know exactly where we're going to end up. Every day. I mean, yeah. it takes me, it takes me a good 10 hours. I'm never the kind of person who gets up at 6 a.m. and knows where I'm going to end up. <laughs> I mean, it might be, it might be the living room. <laughs> it might be the kitchen for a little while. But by sundown, there's not there's not a plan for any of that. Um, so you left in the afternoon. But yeah, I think this. But the, I think this was one of the first things I wrote. Was um, he was red? Dan has red hair. In case you're wondering, and I have brown hair. <laughs> he was red, and I was brown. Our beards were short when we started out. We took a broken compass and our guitars and a cockeyed monster with matted blue fur and nicotine-stained eyeballs. We stood and said our goodbyes where the blood good would grow and headed west while the sun was low. But five minutes into Scarecrow Country, we were nowhere near we needed to be. We started out beneath the marigold of sun the compass, we wouldn't be needing one. And we set out to become what we would be. And headed west across the asphalt sea. And you are next to me. Sitting two foot three. And I am next to you. Starting to believe But five minutes Into Scarecrow country We were Nowhere near We needed to be beginnings of what became the song 
Scarecrow, Scarecrow Country, Country, the first song on the album. Yeah. Which is also a very menacing, <laughs> right? like danger lurking around every corner kind of song, for sure. Yeah. yeah. If you didn't know where that, if you heard Scarecrow Country and didn't know that it, where it came from, that it was part of kind of a, I don't want to say, j- the album's not a joke, but it's definitely like a fun album. Yeah. If you just heard Scarecrow Country on its own, you'd be like, this is dark and fucked up, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> I think the album starts out that way. It's like Children of the Corn. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it starts out that way and it goes back and forth between dark and hilarious and joyous and weird and sure. jokey. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's that definitely tone. set the tone in that first night on the road. I don't know, just kind of the darkness and right. the expanses of land. And right. Because, yeah, you're driving through the Midwest and the radio towers just like flashing like mm-hmm. off in the distance with mm-hmm. the red light yeah. and I think it was pretty there was like a fog going on so it was this very yeah. and it seemed like in the song you were almost predicting the doom that was coming almost just because we got off to a late start and you're like we're not where we need to be right yeah we've we've not <laughs> remotely covered any of the ground we thought we were going yeah. to it's already this dark we have no idea where we are but we know we haven't made it very far yet I think what st- stuck with me though was that because um, I, I finished Scarecrow Country like after the trip and I wanted this feeling of we we embarked on this journey and we we kind of knew what we wanted to do but didn't totally know what we were getting into I think that first night we heard that clip on the radio that like introduces vacuum cleaner in the snow so partly for me it was the like the turn of like we started out from one point and maybe had one idea of how things were going to go. And then it's what happens to, like, rearrange that journey is what puts you in the spot of being actually, like, actually where you need to be to, like, have something to write about or have an experience or, like, mm-hmm. you know, so you start out and then there's misfortune and mayhem along your way, but unbeknownst to you, you have some sort of realization that's just like, oh, this is, I needed this to happen to me. And uh, something about uh, Aaron's guitar solos at the end also kind of symbolized the car destroying itself a little bit too, I think. <laughs> I definitely remember wanting the that those guitar solos to be really broken and yeah, it was like this thing creepy is going right. and echoey mm-hmm. and uh, a symbol of impo- like impending disaster yeah. to come. Yeah, it has this feel <laughs> when it goes through those guitar. That may solos, be what you said to me though. I don't remember yeah. if you just told me to do that, or I don't, but I remember having that in my head. Yeah, it sounds like there's a crash or something is breaking, and then when it comes out into Hillboys, there's kind of this calming, almost like you made it through the night, <laughs> the sky is breaking, the sun's coming out, and you're back on the road, and, and you're moving forward. It yeah. was one of the things when I listened back to that album, like, I've, because um, I feel like I, you know, I've obviously grown a lot as a musician since we made this album, but, like, there's some of the stuff I did on here I really like. And like, and Scarecrow Country was one of them. I was like, man, I really nailed that. Yeah. That's a great, <laughs> crashing, yeah. crazy, like doomy guitar solo. Yeah.
serene feel at the beginning of Hillboys. Um, yeah, it's a really beautiful song. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it felt like it kind of just opened up. And it, it, yeah, it did feel like it's the next day, we're back on the road. But Hillboys is like, Hillboys is a very specific experience um, later on in the trip when we were in the Badlands in South Dakota. Just in the Black Hills. Yeah, we were in the Black Hills. I remember Okay. it was late at night, it was raining, visibility was bad. Really bad. We pulled into like a rest stop and we were like, should we just park here and sleep? And we were pretty sure we were going to die or something if we did that or get attacked. <laughs> we didn't know where we were. So we're like, oh, let's, let's just get back on the road. And so we're going through these windy roads through the hills and I can't see anything because it's rainy and foggy and just super windy roads. And I look in my rear view mirror and there's like 20 sets of headlights like right on our tail. And you can just tell us like these locals who could probably drive that road without looking. And um, <laughs> and we're going like five miles per hour because we can't see anything. Yeah. And there's this huge backlog of traffic yeah. behind us. They and were I was not, like, uh... yeah, what am I going to do? I, I can't see. And so I just crawled up this hill, up and down these hills. And uh, yeah, it was scary. Like, I didn't know. I couldn't see the road at all. We had we had turned uh, the Black Hills at, at that hour into like a cavalcade of uh, motorists. Yeah. For like a good 45 minutes to an hour. Funeral procession. Yeah. At some point, I feel like there was a pickup truck that had been kind of kind of messing with us a little bit where we would accelerate and then lose speed depending on just because like the turns were so crazy. Mm-hmm. And then this car would just be like on us mm-hmm. and then disappear mm-hmm. and then reappear like in front of us. <laughs> Hill boys. Yeah. yeah. So... <laughs> And they, that's, yeah, I guess, like, the song opens up and it seems like it's going to be more, yeah, more serene thing after the first song, but then also Hill Boys is kind of ominous, too, because yeah. once again mm-hmm. we find ourselves in a troubling situation. And What's the line in the court? Is it Antique Barbershop Hotel? Hill Boys scream down roads paved with sin in Antique Barbershop Pole Tins. Cause oh, Antique Barbershop Pole Tins. So, yeah. oh, tins. So, Barbershop Tins. Tins, yeah. yeah. The barbershop pole is like a candy, like a shaft of candy. And so the barbershop pole tin is the tin that holds the candy. Oh. And so I remember all these years. Seeing like, I never knew that. Yeah. Seeing a crushed knew that. tin of uh, barbershop poles. The candy barbershop poles. There was a crushed tin on the road somewhere. And so that <laughs> That's that made it in the I don't know if anyone's ever picked up um I had no idea. Yeah. I, I always thought it was like I thought you drove by an old barbershop yeah. on the well, being yeah. chased by hillbillies. That was just that like, that like was a it. small town image. Of, yeah, if yeah. you're in like small town or if you're at like a Cracker Barrel, I think they call them barbershop poles. Barbershop poles and the little candy with a swirl, and then that made it into the song. I'm, learning, just the I'm weird, already learning something new. It's just, yeah, I mean, I don't know where the stuff comes. It's just weird observations on the road that yeah. make their way into the songs. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> we were definitely big on like literal details. Yeah. I'm not sure. But what literal that details was, but used meaning like in a way that where it seems absurd or uh, surreal, but it's actually a real thing. Right. I mean, yeah, I think that's true like, for Solioni all the way yeah, through. Like, like being, half your songs are about like food. <laughs> and it, but in like these really weird surreal kind of ways, right? You know, so, yeah, somebody picking yeah. up on like strange everyday observations and then creating this bizarre world, yeah, that they exist in, yeah, and sure. es- especially taking like styles of songs, um, yeah, and having specific weird like a song that feels almost like a genre type of of a song, oh yeah, or like that, but then like putting somewhat incongruous but very specific details into that mashup and we did a lot of yeah. that where it was like this song is this specific genre i mean yeah solioni was not a band that existed in a genre in a genre i mean right. i think the closest right. band i would always compare us to would be ween whereas like it's like that we're gonna do a song in this style because it fits this weird concept right. that we have mm-hmm. right so yeah and especially in this album it's kind of all over the map as far as styles well it's all very like american though you know it's, mm-hmm. all, it's definitely all rooted in traditional american yeah it music. does have that kind of like um yeah americana and then kind of the oh brother where art thou kind right of. <laughs> found there's a lot of like almost like you know found sounds kind of feel to it and yeah. old recordings Mm-hmm. Harry Smith anthology. <laughs> we never delved into like Eastern European music. Or... <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't like let's do a, a, each song in a different genre. It was definitely like genres that felt attached to the the road or the the old west or the to, yeah the American yeah. the American West. I would say primarily. Yeah, that was definitely a big thing to me at the time. That uh, you know what was what was existing in thrift stores and what was existing in like weird small towns and rundown forgotten spots like. Mm-hmm. That's what America really was, and you know that we were kind of trying to mm-hmm. write down our interpretation of that, or in in kind of specific terms. Albert Lee, hey, 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 hey! The snow dunes have swallowed you down, but we'll take a path without drinking cups. We were destroyed, yeah. drunk. Because we had never played music before. And we had never played live. <laughs> that was your first show? Li- yep. And we spent... I get, I, the Smiling Skull, to the listeners, is the only biker bar in Athens, Ohio. I mean, it was a pretty open... Like, you know, most people could... You could hang out there, but it's also not the kind of place you really wanted to go fuck around with people, ultimately, because no. it was a biker bar. So you, <laughs> you had your first show ever there. We had probably learned how to play guitar like two weeks before. Yeah. You just learned how to play guitar and you were trashed. <laughs> well, and we had spent like a good, um, I was, I was really into Johnny Cash at that point and had just like gotten into his music and we had spent a good maybe two hours priming ourselves for that show. And granted, you know, this was like an open mic slot at, at the Smiling Skull, but it was the first time we were going to play. It was open mic? Yeah. And they kicked you out? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a... Yeah. That's but, an accomplishment. Well, but we had... Um, I do remember, like, chatting up a lot of the barflies, and then them getting excited about us 
that we were going to play. Because they're like, oh, these guys are cool. Yeah, and I'm telling them, like, oh, well, we're into, we're into Johnny Cash and, like, <laughs> some of the, like, Bax acoustic stuff and kind of a mix of that. And, yeah, um, so they liked you. And this was all, like, Before you played. <laughs> right. They were, like, pretty excited for us to take the stage. And then... Now, after we talked to them, we stumbled over to Union Street Cafe because I saw a guy there that I knew played guitar and asked him to tune our guitars. Yep. Before we went back, <laughs> which we could not even do, and then you had to go across the street to get your guitars <laughs> tuned by a guy from a local punk band. Yeah, <laughs> and the moment that got us eighty sixth was uh, that cover of uh, Centerfield. It was Centerfield. Since we only needed like a couple chords, it was just kind of like me strumming the E chord. Yeah, and then us like saying, saying "Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play." Yep. And then me shouting, <laughs> That was it? Yep. And it was not It was not the melody of Centerfield. It was not, it had nothing yeah. like... Hey, you gotta make a song yeah. your own. We did, yeah. So that was that was an achievement. I do remember, though, we played it. We played that. I think we opened it with that. And then we played, like, an original song. Some guy was like, I like the originals better on the cover. <laughs> But then we got pulled off stage, and then I was, and then I was really drunk. Of course you do. <laughs> I like it better than that John Fogerty cover. But then I was like, we only got to play one song, and then you were like, we played yeah, five. We played like right. We played like yeah, like five or six songs. I mean, I in looking back, they were probably extremely generous with the amount of time they let us like. Oh yeah, I didn't realize you bumble around on stage, yeah. and we were, um, but in our drunkenness became indignant that they were like kicking us off the stage cutting our set short <laughs> in the middle of this disastrous cover and then when we piled into the car afterwards yeah dan was convinced that we'd only played one song and then so then it turned into like no man we played we played like five they kicked us out because we were drunk <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yep. I'm sure people got kicked out of that bar for much worse things. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't like, you know. Usually, like, violence. I My friend Travis got kicked out of that bar for peeing on a cop car, actually. Well, he was out in front of the bar, but yeah, yeah that's far worse. We had only offended, <laughs> had offended their minds. Didn't we play? Music. Now, I don't know if we were officially Solioni at that point. I think we were actually the Hills Brothers. Yeah, that might be the only show we played as the Hills Brothers, which is based on the uh, the instant coffee Hills Brothers. Because <laughs> we were also like super into branding and logos at that point. I don't even remember Hills Brothers. I don't even know if it still exists. But there was a um, it. it was an instant coffee that had uh, <laughs> an image of a swami in a robe, like offering <laughs> up a coffee cup to no one. <laughs> well, to you. You're right to anybody who would have it. Right, yeah. except that he's he wasn't he wasn't facing <laughs> outwardly to the consumer. He was like in the panoramic of the coffee can, <laughs> offering it to this empty space. So that's yeah. I mean, that's the origins of us jumping into this. Like before we were ready. I think it all, I mean, we were both writers, uh, so it turned into an excuse. It seemed like an easy way for us to present our writing in front of people without doing like a poetry slam. So we're like, yeah, let's do this to music. Who wants to do that? But we don't know, (laughs) we don't know how to play, so we're gonna have to figure out how to play these instruments. Well, yeah, eventually you found, you somehow managed to convince people that knew how to play. Well, I mean, I I say that like, 
I, I don't consider myself as some sort of amazing musician, but I'm, I'm in that group, obviously. But you found people like myself who knew how to play our instruments and convinced us to, <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> to like, go along with your, yeah. with while, your ideas. While we were but, figuring things out, <laughs> while we were figuring things out uh, with our guitars, we uh, we have we found people to help fill out the sound, and then eventually we figured out what we were doing. But yeah, it was a fun way to start for sure. <laughs> It came from a place of, like, we both wanted to be songwriters. Right. We just got impatient with the uh, the gap between knowing how to do that and Whoa. doing it. Yeah. Yeah, it's like getting, the, uh, like, a piece of a, something from Ikea and then trying to build it without looking at the instructions. Right. Because you're just like, I can well, do the, this, let me just do this. You know, creation and craft are two very different things that one has to learn both sides of that in order to <laughs> bring them together into something that is... Did you just call our music temporary and disposable? <laughs> <laughs> Which is okay. Um, Shall we dive back into these songs? Right. Yeah. So, Vacuuming the Snow. Vacuuming the Snow was on the first night, and that was Tom basically getting really inspired by something you heard on the radio. It was a beautiful piece of music. Those. Yeah, I don't remember there being a specific story, but that's just one of those things that just kind of evolved post, mm-hmm. like a moment that I really remembered, and then came up with the story for the song. Isn't the story of the song that uh, a guy is trying to kill himself by vacuuming? Yeah, like, the I mean, snow. within the song <laughs> itself, like, he becomes... Electrocute himself? Right. <laughs> he, lives, he lives alone in this sad, abandoned shack and uh, had a uh, had a radio where, because I think that was part of it, is like, we, we were struggling to get like, anything to come in on the radio mm-hmm. at that point. And then had come upon this uh, this little beautiful little piece of music, and then later an amazing like radio show about pterodactyls. I remember. Yeah, but this first piece, we had brought a little cassette recorder on mm-hmm. the road to kind of re- record our experiences, and then also the songs that they were developing. Yeah. But mm-hmm. we heard like this woman singing over the radio some language I don't know what it was, but it was very beautiful like sounding Hungarian or something. Maybe. Yeah, and so we were recording this this stuff kind of found sounds on, that were coming over the radio mm-hmm. and also us trying to have conversation in the car. We'd sometimes keep the, the cassette recorder going, rolling during that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Tom kind of created a storyline based on this character who had also overheard this woman singing and had fallen in love with her. Right. And he couldn't have her. Oh, right. Because well, and then his the radio that he's listening to is destroyed in a lightning storm or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Before, just yeah, an before, old radio. And before then, the DJ can say who her, who this woman is, right? like the antenna rusts and cracks off and that sends him into this depression. Yep. And then he has Where decides he, has, he can't live any longer. His only recourse is to try to, to vacuum his front lawn that's covered with snow. To kill himself. Right. How did you come up with <laughs> that idea? That idea as a as a way to kill yourself. I have I I do not, <laughs> do not know where that's I a came new from. one. Yeah. <laughs> I just remember working on that song and you being like, "Oh, this guy decides to kill himself by vacuuming the snow on his front lawn and electrocuting himself." And it's like, "What? 
the fuck? As if that was a thing. As if that's something yeah. you do. Yeah. It's either that or the toaster in the bath. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, you have it's similar to a toaster in a bathtub idea, but I right. don't know if vacuuming the snow would actually work. When you're living like a, a Ted Kaczynski type lifestyle, your oh, options okay. are kind of, I don't. I don't know. I wouldn't say that. That's well, that would explain because he has the, electricity. So that would explain the way the vocal style that you use on vacuuming the snow. Then yeah, I should. I, should. I will. One of the. Th- <laughs> I think I talked to you about this, but one of the things I realized when I went back and listened to this album is that Vacuuming the Snow is a really good song, and I was like, why the fuck did Dom sing this song in this voice? Like, it could have been a really good song. (laughs) I mean, it is a good song, Yeah, you you can speak to that, but I was just like, oh, it would have been so much better if he sang it instead of doing this (laughs) This weird, like, insane person in a shack voice. Right. That kind of goes back to, like, how (laughs) naive we were at the time, where we're like, we're just entertaining ourselves mm-hmm. when we went and we weren't no we thought it was funny yeah though. we were we were just kind of entertaining <laughs> ourselves at the time uh and like to us we're like we're creating all these character stories this guy's a character right and we and then it wasn't until we started seeing some of the reviews uh where they were like you know people are talking about like some of the voices that we created i was like oh that i guess that would be kind of startling because the first two tracks are so like there's no consistent vocal style the first like, well the first two tracks are like sound like we really um are serious about what we're doing and they're very moody and it's true yeah um it does come they're very, very like well right. done and then uh track three is another dark song <laughs> and then all of a sudden there's this crazy goofball lyric and it just throws people for a loop but when we wrote it and when we recorded it we we're kind of like well that's just the guy's voice he's a character an extension cord is my timeline now and soon the sparks will blow I've grown so weary, my fist won't close. Now I'm dragging vacuum leader through the snow. like we're telling a story here there's characters we're not trying to have like smooth uh like amazing vocals in each one it's kind of like trying to capture the spirit of this old this old codger but then you know when we play it live we sing it normally and And that was the thing when we did it live we always like performed it yeah like a normal song and you sang it and it sounded great yeah yeah if we had at the time we weren't as maybe well we were serious about the music but we weren't uh well and i i mean i definitely had a range of maybe somewhat obvious influences going on at the time and hadn't um, gotten completely comfortable with my own natural singing voice yet, especially during recording. So I think... When you can see like yeah. like a Tom Waits influence or something in that, right. like doing the, which he's very adept at. Right. And we were 22 and not very adept at. No. And, and <laughs> right. Trying to, trying to channel a certain kind of style as a means to just kind of get the song created a little bit. Um, but I definitely like had not grown completely comfortable with like how I sounded singing on my own. Mm-hmm. So using like different affectations, which over the test of time, 
may or may not have uh, survived. <laughs> Yet, at the same time, like, there's songs on here where it totally works, like Wiley Granger. So, right. I mean, right. To varying degrees of success. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Well, I think that one definitely required a character, kind of a zany character story. But yeah. that was also inspired by the first, probably, I think the first night that we stayed, probably in, Walk- where were we in Waukegan? Waukegan, yeah. Wiley Granger, are you talking about? Yeah. So we pulled into the hotel, or maybe the car had broken down. Well, it broke down the next day. Okay. So we had we stopped there first, and we had stopped at the motel, and we saw, like, a bar, and we were going over to the bar, and there were, like, literally no sidewalks in the town. So we were, like, hopping from, like, <laughs> median to median, and uh, I guess the tree lawn, as you R- call it. Right. Yeah. There were no sidewalks, right? and it was really hard to, like, get across the street or walk anywhere, because you're always just kind of, like, walking down the highway or... Right. And that idea kind of just struck as, like, this town has no sidewalks. Let's make a song about a guy who kind of rolls into town and makes it his obsession to, like, fix the town and add sidewalks. Yeah. (laughs) Or as apparently as the song goes, was as appalled as we were in that moment of where we sort of needed a sidewalk to cross. (laughs) Yeah. We were in trouble. Sure would be nice if there was a sidewalk here. (laughs) And then in the song... Which is one of the things that like had me kind of <laughs> tearing, tearing up yesterday when I was listening to this again for the first time in a while. Was just all the different directions that Dom took it of things that would happen if your town had no sidewalks. Right. What would that? He's mean? just going on and on. Like, if you had no sidewalks, what are the things your town would be missing? How how would it affect like a pale rider sort of character mm-hmm. who just shows up in <laughs> like town a, on a mule, on a mule? Yeah. A Clint Eastwood pale rider rolling <laughs> where, into town. Yeah. With a long beard. Where that? would the lemonade stands be? Where would the kids be riding their big wheels? Right. And where would be? the prostitutes ply their trade? <laughs> I mean, those are that's those are good questions. I wonder, um, I mean, the fact that that song is recorded in the style of what, I, I guess I would call it a, a holler. Yeah, we call it a stomp holler. A stomp holler, which yeah. is, I don't know if that's a correct, actual correct terminology for it, but it is a true style of American music where people just clap and sing stories and there's mm-hmm. no musical accompaniment. Where'd that come from? That could be I know. some of that early Beck influence. Some of that, and then... Um, oh, Beck, Okay. I was definitely into, like, very... I'm not sure what the... I mean, I've heard you use the term, like, dry-sounding recordings or just recordings that... Um, I think I was really into, like, some of the, the Rick Rubin recording stuff where there was just a very natural sound. Like, how you sounded playing your guitar, even though there's, like, some effects on this recording overall, but just, like, a very yeah. straightforward... This is how you sound in a room without a ton of stuff going on. I'm yeah. not sure what that has to do with Wiley Granger necessarily. Well, <laughs> like I was but. like I was really into at this time period when you guys were doing this, I was really into a lot of the Harry Smith anthology of American folk and Alan Lomax field recordings and stuff like that. So like when I heard that, I was like, oh these guys are like listening to Alan Lomax and Harry Smith, but I don't even know if that's true. But it's mm-hmm. definitely it sounds like that. Yeah, I mean, it's like in that's, the, it's it sounds in spirit for sure. It's like a field like, recording, but yeah. Yeah. I don't. Something, <laughs> some higher power was guiding us. I don't know what was happening. But yeah, I mean, it was in. It was. It was definitely going on in. I would. I mean, it wasn't actively happening in music, but this renaissance of acknowledging this like style of music. Yeah, like Beck's on. one foot in the grave. Yeah. kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that was a huge. That we listened to the album all the time in college. Right? That, so uh, yeah, that, that album's that, amazing. Yeah. That actually is one of our. I think one of our biggest influences when we first started writing. Yeah, 
yeah. was like, here's a guy just sitting in a room playing acoustic guitar, um, singing a kind of funny song, but bluesy and heartfelt and, right. and that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, I still think One Foot in the Grave is the best thing Beck ever did, probably. And the actual song One Foot in the Grave is a stomp holler. It's not on the album, I oh, don't think. I don't think it's I've heard. On, uh, but yeah. it's a stomp holler where he just stomp and, and then he plays a harmonica <clears> and then he <throat> says stuff kind of like okay. in Wiley Granger. That's funny, because I bet that Beck was listening to Anthology of American Folk and Alan Lomax, and maybe that it just indirectly transferred over to you guys or something. <laughs> Probably a fair amount. And Oh yeah. Brother had come out. I mean, you know, we were into the Curl well, Brothers and... Yeah, Oh Brother obviously took styles from all of that. Yeah. Oh, somewhere south of an Eskimo town but north of the Rio Grande There's a city where the sidewalks are rare as a skin on a skeleton's hand The country roads are slipping slides laced with bugs and brambles Dogs are all chained to the ground, and the lemonade stands are in shambles. The prostitutes wander aimlessly, and the street signs are all vague. The big wheels are caught in traffic jams, and the front lawns all need shaved. Oh, Wiley Granger rode into town on the back of a redskin mule. His beard was wise and gnarled, unshaved since elementary school. His eyes were dark and marble, his face was gaunt and pale. And the walking stick tied to his back was a jawbone of a whale. His emerald cloak was long and flowing and dragged along the ground as he pondered where the sidewalks were in the sky-forsaken town. He tethered his beast to a totem pole and began to survey the land. He sought to soothe his dust-filled throat with a nectar from a lemonade stand. But there weren't none there, cause there weren't no sidewalks. And this made Wiley mad. Some might say furious, so he lit his pipe. Then suddenly it occurred to him that which he must do. He shook his web on walking stick and shouted to the blue. Sky, where in the name of Moses Malone, dear civil servants hide. The reply was stiff and silent, just as Wiley feared. But just then a young voice cried from the bottom of his beard. It was a boy, a little boy, about six or seven, wearing a cornburst t-shirt. Seems he had plumb driven his big wheel right up into Wiley's beard. Cause there weren't no sidewalks All the hair tangled in the spokes And the boy said, if you please, all our civil servants And congressmen And city workers, including the garbage man And the ice cream truck Were destroyed when the stars fell from the sky with The metal dinosaurs Many years ago, before they could put it in sidewalks, while he was appalled and disgusted, so he gathered up the boy and his red mule and headed to the old contractor's yard. Fired up the cement truck and the diesel clouds. And the cement began to swirl So Wiley let the seaman flow And he paved the town Up and down To and fro And every lawn and every hole And chugged away And three days later The cement dried 
Okay. <laughs> Rolling. The amusement park doesn't operate in May. Seems like an awful waste of machinery. Stuffed animals shaped like bananas are floating in my head. Parking lights click and tick away Tilt a worlds are crashing across the sky Semi trucks are quickly passing by Dream of a roller coaster ride, my arms up in the air. But cotton candy days are nowhere near. I want to hear the story of gold mine robberies, and then I also have my own little awesome thing to add to this in the, from the recording session. So yeah, uh, gold mine robberies—it's just kind of one of those pop songs that spits out of your system in like three minutes. I mean, we had stopped. I think it was the first motel that we had stopped at at the first night, and we were just goofing around on the guitars. And there was a. Uh, the heist Pe movie. There yeah. was a Peter Falk movie on TV, like a heist movie. Yeah. And we had the sound off because we were kind of writing and playing guitars. Yeah. And, uh, I just started writing a song based on what I thought that movie was about without being able to hear what was going on in the movie. And I probably wrote that in about five minutes. I mean, the movie was about some sort of heist and yeah. people robbing a bank wearing masks. Yeah, I mean, there's literally a sequence in the movie where their gang is wearing these... Um, and do you guys don't know what the movie is to this day, except that Peter Falk is in it. He is like the ringleader of this group of bank robbers, bank robbers yeah, who would wear these masks, kind of similar to um, like mannequin type masks. Yeah, or even like the clown masks in a Dark Knight from that opening sequence. Right. Like they're kind of right, kind of creepy. Yeah. So just watching out of the corner of my eye, watching that movie just spit out a song in like five minutes. Um, it was probably my first attempt to kind of write like a Weezer pop song. Right. <laughs> I was like, oh, bar chords, let me see. And like, I didn't even know kind of what I was doing on the guitar and that kind of shows up in the recording too. It was like my first time kind of playing that style. It's really sloppy. Yeah. The recording of yeah, that song, like, but it's fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it turned out to be kind of like the catchy sort of, probably the song that stuck with people 
right away. Yeah. It's a hit. It's it was, definitely it a, a hit. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely one of those songs like spilling out the lyrics, not even thinking about it. And then you're like, I guess that's the song. I think that was, it was in the first, the batch of the first two songs that we recorded when I got back to Seattle. Yeah. Um, we did. This is one uh, of the first things we did. The first thing we did was Goldmine Robberies and Amusement Park Amusement, titles. Yeah. Which was the first two songs we did. I remember recording those two songs in my basement. That's when we sat there and we're like, all right, Dom didn't make it here. But we're gonna start this. <laughs> we're gonna start this album. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because yeah. we were like, yeah. let's do it. We are ready to record. Album, and we're like, yeah. Well, it's just me, so let's let's record these. <laughs> that's let's right. Record these first two, and we'll eventually finish this album. Yeah, those were the first songs we did. Yeah, but what I remember best about recording those two songs um, is that we I, we had already. I think the first thing we did was Amusement Park Untitled, and mm-hmm. I just like. I put like five microphones around you, so it was just like really natural sounding, yeah. like just the sound of you in my basement playing that song. And then it was me, you, and John that worked on Gold Mime Robberies. And we had been recording the song for probably four hours at least. And then it came time to do background vocals, and you wanted. So we had laid down like all the tracks, and we had laid down your primary vocal track, and then you wanted John and I to sing the backing vocals. To the song and it wasn't until that moment after like four hours of working on the song that i realized that it, the song was called gold mime robberies not gold mine <laughs> robberies because we, we just assumed that it was gold mine robberies the whole time and like when john and i when because we started singing it and you were like no 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 it's gold mime robberies and john and i just like t- completely lost it like i remember like laughing yeah. for like a very important distinction. I remember, I remember laughing for like 10 minutes because we, because I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Gold mine robberies? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. I'm sure there's still people, there's still people today who are going to hear this podcast and they're going to find out for the first time right. that it's mime and not mime. Oh, like friends of ours who've known this right. song for 10 why years. why in the world think would you it's think it's mime? On like like, the, the track list. Why would you think it's mime? It's right. mime. But it's mime because they're wearing masks, masks right? right? Yeah. <laughs> That's just a stupid thing that happened when I was right. writing a song, and I never thought anything different. I was like, gold mine, while they're wearing masks, mime, they're mimes, they're mimes robbing. They didn't actually carry thing. guns, they just mimed carrying guns. <laughs> yeah, I they look like mimes. Yeah. They're not robbing a mine. They're wearing masks that make them look like mimes. Right. Don't you get this? Like, it was obvious. But yeah, I, I would imagine... I mean, there's a lot of people who have heard that song a million times, and I would—I bet a higher percentage of them think that it's mine. Yeah, well, that would make sense. <laughs> <laughs> that would make sense. Right. Gold mine, not so much. I um, also remember in that recording, uh, another one of your guitar solo moments, the final guitar solo, was another one of the scenarios where we're like, <laughs> you just messed that up big time. And then we listened to it again, and we're like... Oh, it's perfect. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's so... I don't know. The mistakes are so beautiful that it's like can't possibly be recreated. Like that's just how yeah. it's supposed to be. And now I listen. I'm like, why were we even were we even questioning that at the time? We we're like, should we do another take? Yeah, it was yeah. it was a really sloppy guitar solo at the end, and uh, it's it's really awesome. Actually, it sounds like very triumphant. It's very and like, s- squeaky and yeah and weird. And then we I would try to recreate it live all the time when we played <laughs> that song. And I never, I never nailed it like I did on that recording because I don't know what happened. <laughs> I, I definitely messed up and misfingered something somewhere in there, but it totally worked out in an awesome Weezer style yeah. kind of way. Yeah, 
It's a great solo. Everybody's talking about the Goldman robberies. Everybody's caught up in the trail they plays. We're messing friends in across the street. Back to the greenbacks, tap your feet. Everybody's talking about the Goldman robberies. Peter Falk is carrying the fridge. You bet your bottom dollar on a horse that plays fast. Mine's up and take another pass. Messy is wearing on the face. Just that like weird sound that the yeah. solo always like clips on. It's just like perfect. Yeah. yeah. And then I guess the other thing, like I, I actually had absolutely no idea who Peter Falk was when that song mm. came to me. And then late, like you know a few years down the road or so, I ended up becoming like uh, getting really hugely into John Cassavetes yeah. and Peter Falk through John Cassavetes. And man, like I, I had no idea like the raw talent that <laughs> existed behind Peter Falk, you know, when we did yeah. that song. And now, awesome. now I'm just a huge fan of Peter Falk. But Yeah. yeah I, I'd be interested in trying to track down what that movie was and it, see it again, because it's like, why, why did I write it? I mean, it should be easy to find out. Yeah, so. I think, I'm sure I looked it up at some point. But yeah, it would be hilarious to do a uh, do a little viewing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why did it inspire that song? Yeah. Well, it is a very skip out so fast. Yeah. I mean not to not to go back on it, but yeah, I mean like the scenes of them like robbing the banks are like kind of arresting. <laughs> Especially with the sound off. <laughs> you cover that pretty good, I think. Yeah. Um I mean, I do remember like as far as Waukegan goes, like we one of the nights we hung out at the bar, um, and there were like two or three locals hanging out there. And one of the guys hanging out there had played basketball at like New Mexico State when Steve Alford was playing for the Hoosiers. This won't be a podcast about basketball history or anything, but um, <laughs> um, but this guy who had played at New Mexico State was like telling us stories about playing in the NCAA tournament. And so what with Waukegan? Did you guys like stay there your first night? And then drive beyond it and break down and have to go back. Is that what happened? Did you you because you spent a little bit of time there? <laughs> yeah, it, we must have. We stayed. As well, Keegan <laughs> plays kind of prominently into this, but yeah. uh, but it. Yeah, there was no. You must have just gone back there after a breakdown or something. Yeah, right. and I don't even know with what ended up happening with the car. I don't remember what the initial repair was because it was the the tie rods that ended up disintegrating in Buffalo. But if that had been the issue in Waukegan, we never would have gotten that far. Yeah, so, Waukegan was something minor that they still charge us $300 for. Maybe the alternator or something like that. Yeah, something like that. So we must have stayed... It's Wisconsin, right? Waukegan's Wisconsin. Illinois, Illinois. still. Oh, it's Illinois. Yeah. Okay. So we must have stayed somewhere around there. Because it started... And then we started driving, and it broke down really early during the day. You were driving, I think. Mm -hmm. And just slowly, you couldn't go anymore like this. It just lost all power and you just pulled over the side of the road and that's when we saw that amusement park tire towering above us right yeah 
and we're like, well, we're stuck here. It was like Six Flags, right? Yeah, it was Six Flags, yeah. yeah. So you called, or the, a police car came by, and we asked him, like... Who to call. Or he gave us a card of, like, a towing yeah. company, and you called, and we're like, yeah, we're next to Six Flags. And then while we were waiting for the tow truck, we kind of wandered around, took some photos of the amusement park mm-hmm. that we couldn't, couldn't enjoy the day at because it wasn't close to opening. Right. And so we had to spend that whole day in Waukegan and that night in Waukegan. Um, so we spent a little bit of time there. Yeah, some of those amusement park photos made it into the liner notes of the album. Yeah, it was kind of a, another, like, a haunting scene. And, yeah, there's a running theme through the album of, like, roadside attractions and the amusement park. You know, the things you see in South Dakota. Yeah, South Dakota, man. What an amazing Yeah, yeah that state. was definitely, like, a revelatory <laughs> Every time I drive through South Dakota, it's just, like, it's. I'm just... I love South Dakota. I yeah. really do. And that's where... It's kind of still with me, like, to this day. Yeah. Like, and I've, I've written songs about South Dakota on separate from Solioni, like, yeah. on my own. Yeah, because the Black Hills and the Badlands and uh, the Mitchell Corn Palace and, like, that stuff totally... It'll leave an impression. Yeah. I mean, that was, like... <laughs> um, it's an amazing place. Yeah. It was the first time I had ever been through South Dakota and just yeah. left, like, a really powerful impression on me, mm-hmm. like, and just the the mood and the atmosphere of it the The expansiveness the the vastness it is i feel like south dakota is maybe your first if you're driving west it's maybe your first taste of the true west because before that you're in the midwest which is a very different right animal and it's very populated and there's people everywhere and towns everywhere and then when Mm -hmm. you finally hit south dakota it's just like everything just opens up and there's nothing at all, and then whenever you do come upon something, it's always incredibly weird. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like you drive for like two hours, and then something insane like pops up out of nowhere, like yeah. the you know the Mitchell Corn Palace, and you're just like, what the hell is this? Yeah, <laughs> the, doll, the, world... the doll museum is across the street, <laughs> yeah, exactly. and that's definitely where the the album title came from. Yeah. Prairie monsters, because there's all those weird sculptures, strange stuff. roadside attractions, yeah, metal dinosaurs just on the side of the road, mm-hmm. um, huge mascots, prairie just, prairie dog sculptures, yeah, mm-hmm. just things the we dinosaurs all along the way, yeah, right, and those things kind of appear throughout the album as well, yeah, yeah, I think it was in South Dakota where we're like, well, that's that's the album title. <laughs> I think what I felt like I was remembering state man, yeah, that I love when, it when we were in um, Buffalo. At the Stagecoach Inn, that's where I feel like it had kind of settled on Prairie Monsters. Yeah. Over the all-you-can-eat spaghetti dinner. (laughs) 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 All-you-can-eat spaghetti. Wow. (laughs) All-you-can-eat spaghetti. We got noodles and we got sauce. Yeah. Yeah. If you give us, you know, six bucks, we're still going to turn a profit. (laughs) Because you're going to get full after two plates of this shit. That That was a welcome meal. I only. I think I definitely only got through one plate of that, though. Yeah. But, but, uh, oh, who's going to eat more than one plate of spaghetti? <laughs> the gin and tonics were stiff there, though. Mm-hmm. I believe that brings us to Cooler Full of Plums. <laughs> oh, yeah. We have to go all the way back to the beginning to truly understand the story of... The origin of Cooler Full of Plums. The origin and the story of Cooler yeah. Full of Plums. I mean, there was a lot of... I think this kind of started from the very beginning where we'd come up with a song title or an idea... There's a lot of like jotting, jotting that down, and then being like, "Oh, we have to have a song called this," mm-hmm. which is a really strange way to like enter into a songwriting process. Oh. Process, but somehow I think has, we still do that to this day. It's though. been, it's kind of, it stayed with me. 
yeah. like throughout my songwriting experience. But yeah, Cooler Full of Plums, like Wiley Granger was one like that, like where the title was like written down. And then it was like, oh, well, we have to have this song. So we got to write it. Because you've got a good idea for a title. For a title. Yeah. Um, the Battle of Wiley Granger and the Town's Most Sidewalks. Sidewalks. It's a good title. Um, Cooler Full of Plums is also a pretty good title. Right. <laughs> what is that going to be? <laughs> it's exactly what you think. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I, a little less. <laughs> yeah, that's one. I don't know. I don't know if there's much interesting backstory. I mean, other than what well, Rob ended up doing with it during the recording process. But you have to like tell... Why is there even a song called Cooler Full of Plum? Oh, well... Because you were given... Yeah, yeah from, I mean, from, from, from the liner notes, we were... Um, some of the provisions we had we had been given at that point, like starting out on the journey. Yeah. We had a, an igloo cooler. Yeah, when the, when the trip began, we were given a cooler of snacks to kind of carry us through. Um, By Beth's mom? Yes. Is that who gave it to you? Yeah, yeah. so Beth's mom had put some, like, snacks... And mostly plums. There were a lot of plums. There was a big <laughs> pile plums. of plums in this cooler. <laughs> but I feel like we put the cooler into the trunk and then like filled up the trunk with other stuff and kind of forgot about it a yeah. little bit. So, <laughs> so we did the whole drive with this cooler, and it's actually one of like the lasting memories I have of like the end of the road trip because when the car died for the second time in Buffalo, Wyoming, and we actually had to leave it in Buffalo. And mm-hmm. we, had to, we had left a bunch of things in the car. And I remember opening up the trunk and being like, here's the stuff we can't take. Like, we're going to have to just leave this here and right. hope right. to someday pick it up. And I remember seeing the cooler and being like, oh, I forgot we had this cooler of snacks. <laughs> and then, like, popping it up and being like, these, plum- <laughs> these plums have gone bad. <laughs> we forgot to eat them. <laughs> and then... Uh, and then Don went ahead and wrote, wrote a song about the cooler plums. And yeah. uh, it's basically a bunch of plums set in a cooler. Yeah. And then you and were never touched and went bad. Yeah, and I think that's some, it. Yeah. Sometimes I, when you're on the road, you only think of eating what is like at the gas station you stop at, and you don't. You're not like, oh, I got some fresh fruit. About the fresh in the back. fruit. You're more like, where's a slim jim? <laughs> I need some combos. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And then. <laughs> But then when we finally, like, deposited the car to its final resting place and then popped up in the trunk to see what else I could take, I was like, oh, there's the cooler and we forgot to eat the plums that were in there. I definitely, yeah, I was not at a point in my life where I appreciated what it would mean, yeah, to have, like, a nice, (laughs) fresh, juicy plum. Um. But it was one of those things where, it was another one of those observation songs where it was like, just the idea of a cooler full of plums that we forgot to eat was like amusing to us. Yeah, it's kind of surreal. And we were like, but it's real. Yeah, that is just a song. Huh? I think, I and think I love. I've always thought of cooler whenever, like when you when I first heard it, and now I still think of cooler full of plums as Riders on the Storm by the Doors. And I, it's not. I mean, it's it's close. It's not exactly there, but right. it's, it's so creepy. Yeah. I actually was singing about a cooler full of rotten plums. When <laughs> when we recorded Cooler Full of Plums, I actually said to Rob, I was like, this is it's pretty much Riders on the Storm. It is pretty much Riders on the Storm. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> it's like Weird Al's version of Riders on yeah. the Storm. <laughs> cooler full of plums. Cooler full of plums. Sitting on the highway 
place smoking like a gun This cooler full of plums Cooler full of plums Yeah Once I had a quarter spinning on some gum This cooler full of plums We did a second road trip right. to record parts of this album. Right, that has so some like, stories too. A oh, yeah, year yeah, later, yeah, right. maybe, um, we I flew to Ohio and then we drove to Wilmington, North Carolina. Wilmington, North Carolina. To record yeah. with my brother Rob. Right. So half and, the album was recorded in Wilmington, North Carolina. Yeah, right, right. We haven't those, touched so. on that yet. Yeah. Um, Your brother Rob was a college professor at Wilmington, or was yeah, he yeah, going he to was school? He was in grad school. He was in grad school. Yeah. Okay, and so he became a professor eventually. Okay. I retrospectively think of it as my red wheelbarrow moment for Cool with Full of Plums, which <laughs> Wait, I'm, I'm not following. There's a there's a William Carlos Williams poem called the Red Wheelbarrow okay. that that you learn if you're an undergraduate English major. It's it's impressed upon you pretty intently, but it's just this image of a the poem just so much depends upon a red wheelbarrow uh-huh. glazed with rainwater besides the white chickens or beside the white chickens. <laughs> It's just about this, this image of utility. It's just a thing. Yeah, standing yeah. on its own. But the yeah. wet cooler full of plums, I guess I think of as yeah. kind of our red wheelbarrow. And there's spots in the song where you place like the location of the plum, cooler full of plums, like where we are. But there's also spots in the song where you're just trying to find something that rhymes with plums. <laughs> well, most of it, yeah. <laughs> but then there's a part where you like broke down, you know, you talk about the car being broke down, but then there's other spots where you're kind of forcing these rhymes and it just makes it this bizarre... Song and then my brother is kind of like flipping the tape over backwards guitar playing yeah over yeah. the top of the over the simple mm-hmm. guitar line adds this like extra special component to yeah. it yeah pretty yeah. pretty Rob, amazing guitar solo Dan's brother Rob has always kind of been a master of the surreal guitar work I mean, I know Rob Rob is an accomplished mm-hmm. mood piece an accomplished author in his own right but perhaps his greatest poetry. <laughs> is the level of pun that he dictates through each guitar solo that he plays. Yeah. He can really tear stuff up. (laughs) That's a fun thing through the album is, like, the personality (laughs) in some of the, like, the guitar work. Like, people's personalities actually showing through in, like, the the parts that they contributed to the album. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Stagecoach in? Stagecoach in. Um, Now we're hitting hitting right on the the Buffalo section of the stretch, I suppose. Yeah, so, I mean, the... the first breakdown of the car was in Waukegan. There was a lot happened that that happened between Waukegan driving through parts of Minnesota and Wisconsin and South Dakota. But eventually, we got into Wyoming, and that's when we thought we were really making some time. Like we we're like, oh, we like caught up a little yeah. bit. 
We've made up some ground. We're getting close. You know, the boys are waiting for us. They're sitting. They're ready to press record. Right. And yeah, we still we, felt we had, like, you know, a good three days or so to, like... Yeah. I'm tra- do we... Re- was I anticipating your arrival? I don't remember, but I yeah. I be- believe I was. We had like, set aside like, time to record as much as we could. Yeah, like, you were both going to come to... You were both supposed to get to Seattle, yeah. and then we were going to record. Yeah. Right, and, right, right. right. And, uh, okay. Buffalo, Wyoming is I kind of... I forgot about that. Buffalo, Wyoming is where that all <laughs> fell to pieces. <laughs> and... Yeah. Just a, we're driving and just a horrifying sound in the engine that sounded like popcorn being made. Like <laughs> deep fear of popcorn makers. <laughs> it was like a, suddenly the car turned into a popcorn maker. And then we were like going slow and we like probably did even more damage by not pulling over but just kind of like continuing on to the next exit like with this horrifying sound. I mean, we were like basically just drifted off the side of the road, thankfully, and then the car just completely shut down. And then this dude pulled up and like he tried to help us and maybe he gave us the car to like a, a towing place. We pulled off the exit into Buffalo, Wyoming, and then the car kind of on its own momentum pulled off the exit and just died there. (laughs) <laughs> and somehow we got towed to like uh, the local mechanic who Don knew Crandall. he Don Crandall. Don Crandall. Yeah, and he <laughs> he knew he had us in the palm of his hand. Yeah, he was right. like, he's like, oh, these two young naive yeah. idiots. These guys are in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm even going to take this Honda Accord and I'm going to make it mine. Parts it out. I'm not even convinced that like what he told us was wrong with the car was actually what was wrong with it. Oh, like he was like, I can take this and resell it or something. Yeah, because I mean, you can <laughs> you can take the parts from well any sure, Honda, sure. Toyota, and, yeah, yeah, make make some money off it. That said, the noises that were coming from that engine when we were still something was driving. wrong. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so <laughs> we got pulled into yeah, no, Don Crandall, if you're listening, <laughs> I bet he is, don't, man. I don't bet, feel like <laughs> I have a feeling that Don Crandall's a big fan of the Wasted Years. I trust your judgment as a mechanic. Podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, so we dropped off the car with Don Crandall. We're stuck in Buffalo. Buffalo, Wyoming. Where they have a a bank, like one of the, it was a, I think it was a chain bank, but they had this crazy sculpture of Lewis and Clark and Sacagawea, like out in front of the bank in a buffalo. Lewis and Clark are just everywhere in the West. It might have been, I think there's a Lewis and Clark bank. Even I don't mm-hmm. even buy. I don't even buy that Lewis and Clark have been half the places where people claim they've been. <laughs> yeah. Because it's like, you're, how could they have been here and there? Like you're, they've like, been everywhere. They've been everywhere. You Once know. you cross the Mississippi, it's just like Lewis and Clark <laughs> were fucking everywhere. They do some exploring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Once you get the itch, <laughs> you scratch it. So we were in Buffalo, Wyoming. The engine sounded like it exploded. Being seeing that this was everywhere. the second time that the car broke down, we were a little concerned at this point yeah right um you're wary and we knew we were going to be there for a, probably a couple of days at least right, right. so we kind of settled in town very gloomy very overcast weather yeah this is just very small grand tetons and then we were these two kind of bizarre is it near guys. the te- the tetons is yeah that where? Okay. you can see the foothills like as you're uh, i love that area of yeah. wyoming actually it's yeah a, i mean it's it was amazing i mean i'm but you, you know, couldn't get to any of it because you were, didn't have a car. We were on foot. Yeah. We were these two kind of strange, <laughs> strange outsiders wandering through town. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when we when we ended there, we were like, 
well, this is a cool town to be stuck in because it's a right. small town. I mean, it's, it was like an old mining town that had yeah. just kind of yeah managed to. But the stagecoach in was probably was walking distance from Don Crandall's repair shop. Yeah, and so we walk in there and we're like, it's a combination like little motel slash restaurant, and uh, you know we see the all you can eat spaghetti. Like, oh, this is pretty. This just looks like a pretty nice place. Yep. Um, the manager there, Becky. We hadn't seen a female, like, or interacted with a female for a few days. So, like, we we're drawn. Like, she had this allure and like these bangs. She had these no wide eyes, and then she had a husband who was like a carpenter or something. Right. They, it was like family owned and operated. Yeah. Like it was. It had been their dream to sure run and open this place. Right. Yeah. Um, but we had created this kind of like false obsession, almost, or this false like. Uh, attraction to her right i mean we were definitely like pushing our you know well we'll you know pedal our like you know wayfaring stranger you know traveling troubadour story on like anyone who will get within five feet of us at that point and thought that this was gonna like you know generate sympathy that would manifest itself in free drinks or food. Right, yeah. but they probably meet people like you pretty uh, yeah, much every day. I mean, they're running, yeah. <laughs> they've got an overnight in, uh, in, the in Buffalo. So, yeah, like, right. obviously. Yeah. And it wasn't the only, like, <laughs> hotel option either. There were, like, three or four in that town. Yeah, but that's where we were stuck. And then, you know, we took advantage of the all-you-can-eat spaghetti. Who wouldn't? And then we... Right. I we, think she did give us, like, a couple rounds of drinks. Yeah, she was nice about the whole thing. And then... She had kind of a suspicious husband, maybe right. like wondering what, what our angle was. But then uh, <laughs> we, when we finally, when finally got time to like try to sleep, we realized that the entire staff of the restaurant actually lived in the motel. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe they were only renting out like two rooms and then the rest of them were like living in the other two rooms. And this was like right around the time where like rap rock might have been in both. Yeah. Limp Biscuit was like at limp, its peak. Limp Biscuit. Yeah. One of the incarnations of Incubus, perhaps. Yes. Right. So we try to we try to rest off what has just happened to us, like with the car dying again. And then uh I'm at this point contemplating returning back to Ohio. Yeah. We were like I, I do don't like, know if we're gonna make it. I love how rap rock was in vogue and we were recording stomp hollers. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. This is this is the era of like, and there's nothing there's nothing positive going on in mainstream music yeah. either. That's oh, no. which probably had a lot to do with like what our not that we were listening to mainstream, but that there was this like overtone of just really cynical music that was going on. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we try to get a little bit of rest after this crazy day on the road, and uh, the rap rock is just blasting yeah. through the walls. And like sure the people that were living in there. Yeah, right? there was it's, basically like, uh, yeah. like you know, cases of Budweiser like sitting outside the the door of the apartment, but like right next to us, or the the hotel room right next right. to us. And Limp Bizkit blasting from the speakers. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it had to be one of those stereos with like the multicolored glowing uh, graphic equalizer. Right, like Aowa. Yeah. Made all, so, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was just like a horrible night. Um, <laughs> our first night at Buffalo, and we were kind of excited to be in Buffalo, but we also knew we were stuck there, and then that turned out not to be the place to be stuck in. But well, we had an amazing afternoon there, though, because uh-huh. um, we—I um, meant to look up the name of the saloon that we were hanging out at. But we started. There were two places, like one one place we stopped into, just kind of like wandering around the town, 
while we were waiting for the prognosis from, uh, or the diagnosis, I guess, from, uh, from Don Crandall, um, was Charlie Geist's fur trader shop. Oh yeah. Which ends up in... I remember hearing about this. Yeah. yeah there's a, there, I think there's a photo in the liner notes, um, and probably definitely on the website, but he had this amazing facade to his storefront where there's just like cattle skulls, um, staring down at you. Mm-hmm. Like he had like hung them up mm-hmm. different shapes and sizes and that's just like like you look up at it and they're just staring back at you. He's an old dude. He was an older man who happened to be from Cincinnati, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm. Uh was a Reds fan. <laughs> um he had the sticker of this Catholic prayer that my parents had had like on our refrigerator for like years and years and years, but he had that like on one of the posts in his shop. Mm-hmm. And so I was instantly I was like, "Oh, well, common yeah. ground here." Yes. Yeah, like, He'll, he'll show us the the right path here. <laughs> yeah. He'll take us in if we're stuck here for all of these right. When in reality, he ended up sending us uh, or selling us... Uh, he was trying to sell us, like, a Wolverine claw or something like that that he was selling to women as, like, a, like in place of, like, a rape whistle or, like, a mace. What? Like, that was his whole pitch. He's like... I thought you were going to say it for, like, good luck in place of a rape whistle. Yeah, no, it was... He like, was, what, you claw someone with Yeah, it? he was selling it as, like, a self-defense tool. It was a keychain. Yeah. And, and it was just a Wolverine claw. Yeah. And his... his was demo, Wolverine, really? I don't know that it was... Wolverine. It might have been a bobcat. Yeah, some... I, I mean, Wolverines, I think, are kind of, like, endangered... He probably shouldn't have been selling Wolverine. Well, I mean, this was... <laughs> I mean, if he was... <laughs> this is Buffalo. No, I didn't... Yeah, they don't give Wyoming, about... I'm sure they don't give a shit about that stuff in Buffalo, Wyoming. Yeah. But I don't I don't know for sure that it was a Wolverine clock. Didn't he sell raccoon penises and stuff there, too? Only as, like, a aphrodisiac. Well, of course. Like a tea. I don't want to put that on Charlie Geist. But he did try to... He did, like, a little demo where, like, uh, my hand was, like, resting on the counter. It was like, see, if someone comes up to you... Then you just pull this out of your pocket. You're just like this, and like attacked my hand. <laughs> then I had no after that had no inclination to try to like approach him in any physical way, <laughs> for sure. So it worked as a turn. Hands off from that. Yeah, point on. yeah. Um, and <laughs> then yeah, came away with a. Oh, rip this. So that was a good moment. And then we went across the street. There was a saloon. And I want to—I want to say it was called the Century Saloon or something like that. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Um, but this beautiful, crazy old saloon in Buffalo, Wyoming. I mean, we hung out there for a good four or five hours, mm-hmm. um, just chatting up the locals. Don't remember too much from the night, but I do remember that like this was. So this is 2002 in May, and we had sat down next to a couple of hardcore libertarians mm-hmm. and their like nine eleven conspiracy theories were pretty pretty hot and boiling. Um mm-hmm. like spent a good part of the evening chatting those guys up. Like they were giving us cards and like websites we needed to check out mm-hmm. to get the the real truth about the, the American government. Right. So Yeah and again that was like my all of this was like my kind of first exposure to these kind of people with hardcore beliefs like that and right pretty amazing experience that way <laughs> Ricky works at the stagecoach
a blazing across her forehead Blue eyes gleam and make you turn all red Make you turn all red Tiny Song is up next. Yeah, well, Tiny Song, that's on the, the Wilmington section of the trip. It wasn't written during the original road trip. It was written on the second road trip where we were going out to Wilmington <laughs> to uh, record the rest of the song. Yeah. And we picked up a ukulele in Athens, Athens, Ohio on our way out there. We got this little tiny guitar. Let's write another song <laughs> while we're going out to Wilmington <laughs> to record Prairie Monsters. Right. So in the on the car in the on the car ride we wrote Tiny Song yeah. based simply um, a little ukulele. Yeah. Just having it. Yeah, just kind of a, a random song that just kind of <laughs> happened in the, the Prayer Monsters process, but okay. was not a part of the... Uh, that was another... Well, I really liked the song Tiny Song, but that was another one that, like, you guys... I heard that song. It reminded me so much of this old... This 60s garage rock song called Multi. <laughs> but Tiny Song, especially because you have that, like, vocal breakdown where you're, like... You like do that whole thing, like stay tiny, stay small, <laughs> and they have this ridiculous. They have this song called "Multi" that's just like about. It's about this uh, drummer that like lost an arm, <laughs> and then there's like a spoken word section in it. It's like talking you know, to the drummer. Yeah, yeah. I remember you playing that at the time. Twenty years we prior to, to Def Leppard. Yeah, and that's <laughs> that's for spoken word sections. I remember I similar. played it for you because I was like, you have to hear the song "Multi." Yeah. But I, but then I realized like you guys had never heard that song because I was like oh they must have heard this song multi but you hadn't yeah yeah no yeah funny little inspired song. moment yeah we definitely wrote it like in about five minutes in the car yeah. and it was just kind of like what if we were actually talking to the song about the song like trying to get become big but really it should be stay tiny it should stay tiny it should stay within itself do its thing but it's and so like it 1960s be, American garage rock like, the song just, should like, be happy in its own thing. skin yeah um, but it, yeah it was this little thing we threw together and we were like <laughs> let's just toss this in with the others when we're doing this recording session now all your tiny songs raise your voice and stay small your voice and stay small raise your voice and stay small all your tiny songs raise your voice and stay small don't you go getting all you See here, Tiny Song. You go ahead and stay a real small song. Don't go getting all huge or nothing. Take it from me. Being big isn't all it's cracked up to be. I'm God. Nothing gets much bigger than that. Now you stay small and you stay wee and everything will be just fine. Don't you go getting all huge. Don't you go getting all huge like me. 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 Menu at a restaurant? Menu at a restaurant is the first song I wrote for this album. And I actually wrote it before we had actually committed to doing the road trip. So before I had contacted Dom, I was like, well, if he doesn't want to do the road trip, we could make an album inspired by the idea of doing a road trip. So... 
when I came up with that idea, I was like, well, let me just start writing songs about the road, even though we haven't hit the road yet. And uh, Menu at a Restaurant is the one song that I did before we actually went on the road. Oh, really? Yeah. So uh, that one was already ready to go. Uh, yeah, it was just an idea of, like, if this actually doesn't happen, it would still be funny to, like, to make a road album without hitting the road, like, based on the ideas of what we think it's like. Right. Right. Um, <laughs> I remember so, talking about it over breakfast at a Bob Evans or a truck stop in the same conversation that we were talking about the battle of Wiley Granger and the town from the sidewalks. Yeah. But that, that's about it, though. Yeah, we I love the song, though. We had conversations about the song while we were on the road. I was like, oh, yeah, that song is actually accurate. <laughs> we're yeah. like, oh, yeah. Okay, that was a good uh, prediction of what this trip was going to be like. <laughs> right. But, uh, and we've had... Uh, since this album came out, we've had idea, other ideas of concept albums that, that we were like, we could write this concept album about something that we actually haven't experienced, but based on the, the idea of this thing. <laughs> um, but that was kind of the first foray into that. Yeah. It stuck. It stuck with the album. Because it seemed to fit. Yep, yep. It fits. It's a fine like it. <laughs> Don't bother me with riddles. Don't bother me with rhymes Just bother me with your company I'll be off and gone in time Menu at a restaurant Menu on my mind I left my dog in Cleveland And I left my faith behind crazy uh, character vocal kind yeah. of song albert yeah. lee hey hey albert lee definitely born out of uh probably some of the oh brother where art thou kind of stuff and also working with the yeah i was definitely into the like the concept of middle america having this post-apocalyptic kind of kind of landscape to it a little bit mm -hmm. but i mean the song like literally like happened like in the basement of the the mustard house like you wrote that blues riff like with the slide John had the big like Weird. oh booming yeah. drum beat and the we, bell we just kind of based it on yeah a break he was playing a break drum right yeah he used a regular that. drum and a, and then a break drum from a car right yeah. but I think it like had started it was it was a song that had started um, with a completely different we recorded like some stuff for it on the little mini recorder because mm -hmm. um, we kept seeing signs for Albert Lee yeah we were like in southern Minnesota town in Minnesota every 10 miles or so there'd be a sign about Albert Lee you know how far away is Albert Lee and that's kind of where the song came from <laughs> like, we're so close we're getting so close to Albert Lee what is this Albert Lee I think we in the song turned we're, Albert Lee into Albert this Lee character Albert Lee turned into a person I mean we're so the town's close called Albert to you Lee now. like <laughs> yeah, it's right. a person it's not a town. It's Albert Lee. Like, so it's one of the dumbest songs on the album for sure. We're so close to you now. <laughs> you know, part of the Albert Lee song takes place like on the moon, though. Right. And I remember at some point when we were on the road, we thought it was going to be kind of like this double album of like two worlds, where there's part of it about like going up to the moon. We had definitely talked post about doing a vinyl release 
of a, like an Albert Lee single um, that would have its own like fold out album art of the whole like crazy Albert Lee story, um, which could still happen. That's the most because it is yeah it's a little bizarre little little song. There's something about like a lunar colony or something. Right, right. Again, not informed directly by our experience on. <laughs> But a fun song, a fun song to play live. Yeah, totally. That, that one takes on a life of its own. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Albert Lee, hey, hey. The warden clipped our fins. But we made a raft of bones and bars to sail the lunar sea. And now we're coming. Now we're, we're coming. coming after We're so close to you We're so close to you The Highway, I think also written in, uh Written in Minnesota on the trip out of, because um, we detoured in Madison mm-hmm. briefly. Yeah, drove through Minnesota, probably cut back down to South Dakota. Yeah, just written on the road with some thoughts of being on the road and then recorded down in Wilmington. Mm-hmm. I think the highway, it ties back into those early songs on the album. There's kind of these bookends. The two songs at the beginning of the album and the two songs at the end of the album are probably the most serious songs on the whole thing. Sure. And they kind of wrap up the feel of, like, what this whole road experience really is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of, like, zaniness that happens in the middle. <laughs> but, like, the highway kind of brings it back to, like, that serious tone of sure of being on the road and uh, just the experience and not knowing what you're going to run into. Yeah. And just, like, the real detailed observations. Well, I guess in the range of thoughts that kind of... And that, you guys, you guys wrote the highway, like, on the road literally do you think was that, it like in the car a lot of it or? yeah i think that was definitely one i wrote um i wrote most of it in the car mm-hmm. on that section of the trip mm-hmm. and was probably the most fully formed lyric that i had written from the initial trip like a lot of the other the other songs were ideas or like lyric ideas like i had been kind of scribbling throughout the trip but then the highway was kind of the the main road song. Mm-hmm. And the highway can be wicked, and the highway can be cruel. The roads are paved with blood and lust for fossil fuel. And the cracks in the asphalt are like a canyon in your mind, where the demons are all laughing at the memories they find. Where the dinosaurs are all stationary and the silos climb so high. And the moon is like a fingernail beneath the honey blue sky And you're smoking on the guardrail and the satellites have gone And she's pale like a cigarette and whispering a song But the melody is awkward and the words are in reverse And the demons are all laughing at the image you've rehearsed And the highway can be wicked but you're feeling like a fool Love ain't behind or ahead of you You're only passing through Among the tumbleweed and power lines I could drift to the beyond Like a severed dandelion head Floating up to God 
how about Toenail Moon then? I mean, that's the final song on the album, and it's just like, uh, that was one that I had no involvement at all in recording or anything, and then when I, when it was finally presented to me in, like, its finished form, it was just like, it's such a beautiful song. Yeah. It's, and it's such a weird, closer. like, it's such a weird image, but it's so appropriate. Like, as soon as you hear Toenail Moon, it's like, it makes perfect sense what you're talking about, but... Yeah, it's awesome. Not so, a, uh, good job. I mean, I know that's like a hundred percent. That's a hundred percent Dan song. Yeah, but it's well, awesome. It, it yeah. happened the night of the the Hillboys night. Yeah, it was the same yeah. night. Yeah, I mean, there was a a toenail shaped moon up in the sky, um, <laughs> and quite literally, <laughs> it was very like we were pretty far along on the trip at that point, and just kind of it's a kind of a somber song about just the experiences and soaking everything in and someday we're going to look back at all this and what's it going to mean yeah that kind of song which kind of made it the right song to close the album yeah and um and that was before the car broke down for the final time but it was but we were far enough west that it was like let's take a moment and reflect on everything we've experienced here and uh, <laughs> and put it in a song and we're under the toenail moon and I don't know. It's yeah, and that there was this like spirit of adventure and mm-hmm. exploration and the unknown and wanting to like write about that experience and then not wanting that to like fade out yeah. before having done something with it or yeah, I mean I love it as a closer <laughs> to the album. Like I think it's it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of like this story isn't complete yet. Uh, we're out here. Um, let's finish this thing off, and you know how's it going to end? Yeah, and it all kind of comes out in the song. Mm-hmm. And that was probably the day before the car broke down for the final time, and the road yeah. trip just came to an end. I mean, that was right after we'd come from Rushmore, and uh, yeah, still had the the looming threat of the Hillboys chasing us down. Yeah. And then and then the ultimate fate of the car and the trip. We know we know that you made it to Buffalo, Wyoming, and the car ultimately died there or you were at least convinced of the fact that it died. Right. <laughs> and then what happened? So yeah, we were stuck in Buffalo. Don Crandall gave us the prognosis negative. <laughs> <laughs> like can't be fixed or it's gonna he cost this much to fix. Yeah, so it's not even worth it. Yeah. Can't he said fixed. it's gonna the engine needs to be rebuilt, which when it's a used Honda, usually the, the price of the rebuilt engine, you could get another one. Sure, sure. Right. Um, he had basically said that, that the tie rods ground up in the engine. This is a literal description from him, that they ground up in the engine and the shards like exploded throughout the engine. The tie rods? Yeah. At one point, well, he, he called s- them bang rods. He stuck his already <laughs> dirty hand into the oil and pulled out his finger and let us look at the oil. There was like. To see there were specks of like metal of, in there. Yeah. Little of metal. That's weird. Yeah, we, <laughs> we knew we weren't going to hang around for the engine to be rebuilt or anything. Right. <laughs> you, uh, up, you just end up like living in Buffalo Wyoming. <laughs> so we were stuck in <laughs> Buffalo. We got to know the town. <laughs> Dom placed some calls to see, like, how he could possibly get home from there. Oh, yeah. I had a pretty crazy journey out of there. Yeah, and then I did uh, some research and found out somehow Greyhound went through there. Oh. Because apparently Greyhound goes through every single town in America. (laughs) Pretty Um, much, yeah. (laughs) So I was like, oh, yeah, I can get home on the Greyhound. So I think we spent, like, one more night there. At that point, we kind of knew that Dom was going to fly home. Yeah, I was going to hop on the bus, and we weren't going to complete our journey. I took a cab to Gillette, Wyoming, and then flew from Gillette in, like, a six-person plane. 
to Denver. Okay. And then got picked up in Denver, or then flew home from Denver and took a cab, I remember, from the, the Denver airport to a hotel. And the cabbie was lecturing me on how I needed to read the book uh, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. <laughs> Pretty, pretty condescending when I was just telling him about the trip and like what we were doing and what, what it was all about. And he's like, oh, you should read Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. You'll, you'll never read, you'll never want to leave home again. And I still have not read that book, <laughs> strictly because of that cabbie's recommendation. It's not worth it. Yeah. And then I took like a 48-hour Greyhound ride or something, some endless Greyhound ride. Yeah. Uh, there are some characters on there. And I just you, remember... You did Greyhound the rest of the way. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I had to leave a bunch of stuff in Wyoming because right. I couldn't carry it all with me. Yeah. Thankfully, we had enough friends moving from Ohio to Seattle at the time that we had a friend later uh, drive through Wyoming and grab some of the stuff from the back of the car. It was still there? Yeah. Yeah. But, um, um, wow. That was, I mean, it was it's pretty maybe less than a year later. Yeah. <laughs> she, she was still, passing through. I know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have expected it to be there. Yeah. That was the scene where, like, I was grabbing stuff out of the back of the car and, that's, and the cooler of plums was there. Yeah, I just... I got on the Greyhound and I, that's, I just started finishing off some of the songs and reflecting on the journey. And I came back to Seattle and then I got, um, I went to the Little Mustard House. You guys were having like a big fish or like a big seafood feast. Like the day I got in, yeah. And I, huh. that's when I got in and I was like, I. That's when I really wish that Dom had made it all the way out because everyone was like, "What the hell happened to you guys?" Out there? <laughs> yeah, we were excited. Yeah, for you. It was kind of like the celebration of us <laughs> getting. Like, it was going to be like the seafood feast, and then we were going to get to and work record, recording. And Dom's like on. In, <laughs> and Dom was gone, and I was like in a plane. Yeah, and everyone asking me was like, "What happened? Like, where's the car?" <laughs> And like, I had to answer all these questions and basically tell the story right. by myself. And I was just like, yeah, like, yeah. you guys will find out eventually. But Sorry, yeah, it, it, uh, Sorry for that. <laughs> that. I had already, I was I was on vacation from work and had kind you of had already... get back to work. Yeah, and, well, and had kind of like already overspent based on, uh, from our original, <laughs> original budget. Yeah, right. So... You went way over. <laughs> and I think what it what it had kind of ended up the window for me being in seattle had like changed because yeah. like we, we had were, some we were gonna get in there i was gonna be there for like 16 hours or something something ridiculous and then have to get on a plane unless i changed my flight and extended the trip even further which was just kind of not a yeah not an option yeah so, so. Yeah, so it ended uh, ended that way, and uh, and then it took us about two years from that point to finish the album. All the recording. Well, yeah, it really was a couple yeah. years. Yeah, but we knew, as frustrated as we were about what happened on the road, we knew we had all the material Enough that material. we needed. We were like, <laughs> even though this car is gone, and you know, both of us didn't make it to Seattle, we've got the makings of the album, and now we just gotta finish yeah. it off. Yeah, and it gave us a fun project to work on for like the next two years. Yeah, oh yeah. To I think put it together. I think I eventually used my voucher from the the original plane flight to come out and record vacuum cleaner in the snow and trucker shoe polish and that crazy. Yeah, you definitely gin soaked. <laughs> you came out here before you moved here. I remember to yeah. work on some recordings. Yeah, yeah. And cool. I think that nails it. Yeah, the story of That's the making of Prairie Monsters. Thanks, Aaron. Let's go see some Minnesota Twins. Yeah, yeah. let's go watch some baseball. Ton moon Don't fade out too soon You're watching me cry You're watching me croon mm-hmm. You're watching me drive 
a Honda Accord. Your watch and Dom's fries slide across the dashboard. A toenail moon don't fade out too soon. I'm taking you out. I'm picking you up. I'm using the phone. Strings tied to a cup. I'll see you again. Someday we'll forget the places we've been, the jet skis we rent, or toenail moon. Don't fade out too soon. You fade out too soon. Don't fade out too soon. Fade out too soon. Don't fade out too soon. You fade out too soon. Don't fade out too soon.